Are you ready to get in the Word? I got to finish my sermon from last week, and because uh, you didn't get all my points, and I had some really good stuff. Let me tell you something the Lord said last week here in the service. I wrote this down. It really, it really grabbed hold of me. It's not for you to know the when and the how. You know, that's what we tend to worry about the most is when, God, are you going to do this? You know, how are you going to do this? And God says to you and I, it's not for you and I to know the when and the how. It's just for us to know who is going to do it. To spend more time focusing. If you're needing healing, focus more on the healer than on your healing. I know that the pain is difficult. It is difficult. And weakness is difficult. But focus more on the healer and less on the healing. If you have a financial need, I know what it's like to have big needs and not and low resources. But you focus on the provider, not the provision. If you need deliverance, you focus on the deliverer because that's who. That's who your deliverance comes from. And I know that sounds really simple, but it's hard in application. It definitely is. And you have, to, you have to work at it and remind yourself that that's what I need to do. All right, I want you to go to 1 Peter with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And this series, these two messages uh, this week, are, last week and this week, are called Faith in the Fire. Faith in the Fire. And, uh, you know, if you became a Christian and you thought that by becoming a Christian, everything would become easy. Let me tell you that it doesn't get easy. It, it is not, it's not easy, but here's the good news. You don't do it alone, okay? You don't do it alone. There are lots of things that are difficult to deal with in life. And when you and I have to believe God, when we're trusting in something that we cannot see manifesting, we don't see it taking place. You know, uh, I was talking about last week about how that you know, delusion by psychiatrists is defined as that you, that you believe in something without evidence, that you believe something is going to happen without evidence that it's going to happen. That's delusion. God did not call us to believe that something was going to happen without evidence. In fact, what he taught us is, is that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence. So the evidence is our faith, our faith in what he has said in the word. Amen? So we have evidence. And you say, well, that's not enough. I need better evidence than that. Well, you'll never get to the, you'll never get to the manifestation until you believe the evidence of the word. You can't get there. It, doesn't, it just isn't going to, you know, if we say things like, well, I'll believe it when I see it, then how is that? That is not faith. I, you don't believe it. You know it then, okay? And so what we have to get is a place in our life where we believe before we receive. We believe in this. We believe in what his word says. Well, Peter starts talking about this, and he says to these believers that he's writing to, look, I know you're going through a tough time right now. This is tough. In verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Because in verse 5, he says that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're kept by the power of God by the faith that we have. Verse 6, in this, 
He said, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, and some of you have in that text there, it says the trial of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, and he uses this great analogy here about is more precious than gold, and the reason he does that is because, you know, the gold that you and I have, uh, most of us that are, that are wearing gold today are not wearing pure gold, right? We think it's pure gold. You know, it's like, well, it's 14 karat. Well, that means that it's not pure if it's for, I actually gave, if you actually had real gold in your hand, it's malleable. It's, you, could, you can squeeze it and indent it. The, the reason our rings hold up so well is there's other stuff in there that's bonded with the gold to keep the gold strong, okay? But gold by itself is a very malleable type deal that you can, it would bend. Your rings would bend. I gave Sharon when I was in Vietnam, I bought her, a, I bought her an 18 karat one. And it was, or, I mean, it, they're not even as pretty as the ones that we wear because it's like almost orange. And, uh, and it bent all over the place on her hand because it's almost pure. Well, the only way to get gold pure is when they pull it out of the ground, they have to start putting it in the fire. And they heat it, and they heat it, and they heat it, and when it gets really hot, it starts melting down, and when it melts down, all the impurities that are in the gold rise to the surface. And then the guy that's doing the goldsmith will skim the top of it, and he pulls off what they call the dross, which is the wasted stuff, the stuff that was down in the gold. Now listen, before he did the heating process, now this is important, before the gold was heated, you couldn't see what was in the gold that shouldn't be there. And it's only when the gold is in the fire do you actually begin to see what does not belong, what is impure that's in that gold. That's why he says the genuineness when he's talking about it or the trial of your faith, he's saying, listen, this fire that you're going through is making your, the faith in your life more genuine because it's removing the fire. The difficulty is showing you what you believe that isn't right. And look, I know we're all sitting here and we're going, well, praise God, I, everything I believe is right. And I'm telling you right now that you don't know what you believe until you face trial. You just don't know. You don't know what you believe. I mean, when you face, and, and this is really tough, if we, we should be telling people this because you find out in the trial, which we all go through trials, everybody here does, difficulties, we find out in the trial stuff that needs to be skimmed out of our life. When they do, that isn't right. That's not right thinking. That's not right believing. That's not, you know, my, my faith for sure has evolved in the last 40 years. It has changed. It's become stronger. It's been weathered. It's gone through difficulty. It has faced many, many, many trials. And every one of those trials revealed something in me. Let me give you an example. If, if when, when you face difficulty, if you're a whiner, that's impurity in your life and it needs to go. <laughs> well, that went over great. <laughs> but it's true. You know, we... we I mean, you know, if we feel like the, the first thing we need to do when things are bad is get on Facebook and tell everybody how rotten it is, 
Listen, that's an impurity that God wants to skim off your life. Thank you, Pastor. No, man, it's just the... It's just the way that it is. It's, it's stuff that's in here that we believe that comes from the fallen nature that we lived with for so long in our lives, and it's stuff that we have learned that is not accurate. You know, everything I have, everything I have moved forward with God in, I didn't believe in originally. I didn't. You know, it's not like one day I came to church and all of a sudden I saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, believed in healing, and was prospering. Whew! Right? I mean, if it was that simple that we could just call you forward and lay hands on you, I'd have done it long, long, long time ago. But what we have to deal with in our lives is, is that every step that we're taking, we're having to unbelieve something else. I went to church for years and never heard about being born again, okay? I grew up in church. I was in the church plays. I was in church youth group. I went to all the, I went to youth retreats. I went to, I mean, look, I was in all the, but nobody ever, they told us great stories about Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I knew what his teachings were, but I never heard anybody say, Richard Jolliffe, you need to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and you'll be born again. I never heard anybody, tell, nobody ever told me that. And when I heard it for the first time, I, you know what my thought was? Religious. Now, who's religious? The person that goes to church and doesn't believe in anything? Or the person that actually does believe what they go to church for? My religion got in the way of my believing what Jesus had done for me. I went to Easter service. I got the resurrection, man. I thought it was awesome. But I never, ever understood all those years that Jesus could change me, could change my life, that he could come into my heart and I could live a train. I never heard anybody even talk about that. And when I found out about it, I didn't accept it right away. I did not. I remember my dad, I won't tell you what, most of you know what church we went to, but I'm being kind this morning. And I remember my dad. My dad was on the board in the church. I mean, we were in church. If there was a snowstorm, I'm not lying. I know it sounds like an old guy talking about, you know, walking through the storm, all right? But, I mean, we had one Sunday that it must have been a foot and a half of snow fell in, in the town that we lived in, and our church was two miles away, and we thought, this is it. We don't have to go to church this morning. And, you know, the, we got up that morning, and my dad said, well, get your church clothes on. I said, well, Dad, did you look outside? There's a foot and a half of snow. He said, I don't care. We're going to walk to church this morning. And there we all were, four, four Jolliffe kids and my stepmom and dad, and we were trudging through the snow. We got to church, and the only people that was there was us and the pastor and his wife, who was the organist, and so then we had church. And if we'd have died that day, we'd all went to hell. See, don't mistake religion for Christianity. Because nobody told me that I needed to ask Christ into my life. I had an uncle who would tell me that all the time, and I'd be like, he's a wacko religious guy. 
He'd sit at the Thanksgiving table and cry and tell us about that Jesus loved us. He loved Hal Lindsey. He'd talk about the end times, and, and he'd tell us about, you know, that each of you, I'm praying for you, that you'd ask Jesus Christ into your life, make him your personal Lord and Savior. And we were just like, yeah, he's just nuts, okay? He's just a crazy guy. And, and we'd just go, oh, thanks, Uncle Al. You know, we just, and then one day, See, when you start praying for your family, stuff starts happening. You may not see anything, but one day, man, all of a sudden, bang, God got a hold of me, and I found out that, if, that, that I was weighed in the balance and found lacking. I mean, I found out that I was not right with God. I didn't have a... I read my Bible every night. I'd read two chapters, drunk out of my mind. I'd lay there in bed and pass out reading my mother's little wedding Bible. I've got it in my office over here. I mean, I'd read that every single night. King James Version tiniest little print, drunk, high, drugged up, man, I'd lay there in bed and go, well, I gotta, I'm going to read my two chapters tonight, do my little religious thing, and I'd read those two chapters and then fall asleep, and if I'd have died in my sleep, I'd have went to hell. Because I never made a I never made the connection. But one night, God showed me, He said, Richard, listen, you're not right because you have not believed, because what you're doing is you're just going through the, the motions of faith. You're not living faith in your life. The reason you're not changed is, and he went, he got a hold of me, man, and I'm telling you, that night, I called out to the Lord. I said, Jesus, come into my life. I heard for the first time in my life a Bible verse. I didn't know any Bible verses except in the beginning, God, and that was it. And I mean, I heard a Bible verse. I didn't even know where to find it. I called on the name of the Lord and I got saved. Soon after that, everybody in my family started coming to Christ. My dad was going, same church, new pastor. My dad's in that church. And I mean, he's, he's on the board. He's, he's a big shot in the church. He's a big guy in Lions Club and town. And I mean, you know, he just, he had, he had a name and, and, uh, and, and a reputation and, here we are in church. I'm off in college, and the pastor gives an altar call. And my dad got so mad in that service. He was back there where Larry's at in the back. And I'm telling you, he was in the back, and he got so mad because that pastor said, I'd like to invite any of you that would like to come forward to the altar and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to come up here right now, and I'll pray with you. And nobody moved. And my dad got all red in the face and angry, and he said, how dare this pastor turn our ch my church into a Baptist church? We are not Baptists. But he said the next thing he knew, he was walking down the aisle. He, he, he said something got a hold of him, and his feet started moving, and he's like thinking to himself, what in the world? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big shot in this church. What am I doing? And he's walking down the aisle, and he's the only one. You talk about now being brave. He's, he's the only one, Roth, at the altar. See, we think we got it figured out. I'm telling you, in the trial and the difficulty, we come to understand what real faith is like. You say, well, is God creating the adversity? No, let me tell you a secret. So, just so you take God off the hook with this, God is leaving you in an adverse environment. And you're in this world, 
even though you're not of this world, you're in this world, this world has been corrupted because of man's sin. And since you and I are here and because we're in this world, everything that we're trying to do for God is a resistance against the direction that the enemy and carnal thinking has tried to create in this earth. The Bible teaches us in Romans that the carnal mind is the enemy of God. And I want to tell you something. The carnal mind is your enemy as well. Thinking like a man will get you in a lot of trouble. But thinking like God will get you out of a lot of trouble. Amen. So what happens to all of us is, is that we get in adversity. We get in the fire. We get into trouble. And I shared with you last week, and i, I got to move on, but I had shared with you last week how that we went, in, we've, we've had, I could use a bunch of different stories with this, but the time that I was in the hospital with my daughter who had busted her jaw on a bike wreck and, and had lost several permanent teeth and my heart was broke. I was mad at God. I was, I mean, it was just terrible. Sharon was upset. We, we just, you know, we, we were blaming anything and everything. We were so angry. And Sharon said, are you coming home? And I says, I can't leave. I can't leave my baby here. And, uh, and I was a mess. I mean, I was literally, I mean, I was literally a mess. In fact, um, some of you heard me tell this before, but the, one of the nurses had somebody said, is that little girl going to be okay? We think she's going to be fine, but her dad, we're not sure. And, uh, and listen, so any of you parents know what that's like when your kid's down, and man, I mean, you're just like totally freaking out, and I was freaking out, because everything I believed, it didn't seem like it was working. It didn't seem like it was working at all. So I sat at the end of that bed, mad at God, just frustrated, and I said to I said, you know, I was just like, I don't get it, God. I don't, you know, where were you? And why weren't you here to help? And why didn't you protect my little girl? And then, you know, I started getting out my credentials. Well, you know, I've served you faithfully. And I came off the mission field like you told me to. And, and I did this. And I believed. And I stood. And I've, you know, gone through all this difficulty. And I've faced all this. And, and I started getting out my long litany of, of accolades to tell God about how good I am and deserved him for him to take care of and protect me and protect my daughter. And he didn't answer me. And you know, that kind of sucks when God doesn't respond. Can you agree? Would you agree with me? I know that's not great language, but you understand. You use that kind of language when you're not at church. <laughs> Who said true? Was that you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remind me in the altar call about that. Yeah. <laughs> But it is, you know, it, it, just, it, I was, it just was like it was a mess. And so I, the Lord said, are you ready for me to talk to you? And I said, and I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to tell. He says, what I want you to do is open your Bible. And I didn't want to do that, but he said, open your Bible. And I'm going to take you through the Bible. And I want you to look at every person that ever went through the worst day of their life. And last week I shared with you about Peter, how that Peter went through the worst day of his life. But the Lord had told him, he said, listen, Peter, I've prayed for you. And he says, so when you recover out of this, and you will recover, and that when you come out of this, he says, encourage your brethren. So the, the first phrase that we used was to be, that we believe the intercessor over the accuser. Your Bible tells you that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for you. So I appreciate the fact that your mom prays for you, your dad prays for you, and that you pray for you. But the greatest one that prays for you is the one that sits at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to make intercession and prayer for your life to become everything you're called to be. Amen. The second 
thing that God reminded me of was David. You know, David was a powerful guy. I mean, we love to tell the stories about David, how that, you know, he comes up and faces Goliath. You know, you see that online. I mean, people talking about how that, you know, that Goliath was big, but God was bigger. You know, David believed in a bigger God. And, and you know, we could say that in David's life, that was probably one of the big benchmarks of his life was when he defeated Goliath. To him, the other things were when he killed the lion and the bear because he brought all that up before he killed Goliath. But the day we don't normally talk about is the day that he was done. And so if you go with me to Samuel, chapter 1 Samuel, and I want you to look at chapter 30, and I just want you to see this is great David, powerful David, you know, hard after God, worshiper of the Lord, nobody's like David, and I want you to see David here. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. So now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. So they took all the children. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and they went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him, all these mighty warriors that just came out of an incredible battle, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept and cried until they had no power, no more power to weep. They had no more power to cry. I don't know, I'm not asking for volunteers this morning for this, but have you ever been so heartbroken that you couldn't cry anymore? You had cried so much. It's a tough place to be in when your heart is that broke. David's tired, they're tired, their heart broke, he's heartbroken, and he's exhausted. And David's two wives, in verse 5 it says, uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And then it got worse. Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the whole, all of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So notice how this whole thing turned now, and they're all after David. He's all by himself. He has no one. I mean, this is it. You know, you if you haven't figured this out yet, you will hit a point in your life sometime where it's you, your faith, and your God alone. I mean, you pick up the phone to call your pastor, you got a voicemail. You text, there's no response. You ask for prayer, nobody's responding on face. You're, you're alone. You feel the lone, aloneness of that moment. But here's the thing that David figured out, and this is something we have to figure out as well. It says, even though he was exhausted and he was grieved and he was sad, and now he's lost all his army that's turned against him. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Some of you have in your Bible, not the word strengthen, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And what he had to do, and, and you know, this whole thing turns around. It's a pretty miraculous deal because then David just, he just decides, look, I'm going forward. I'm not giving up. 
I'm not throwing in the towel, and the guy's following him, and he goes and he finds out, he says, look, can we defeat these guys that have done this? And the Lord said through the, the minister, go get it, go get everything, go take it all back. And so they went, tired, weary, worn out, they go after it, and they take back everything that they had lost, everything. They didn't lose one child, they didn't lose one wife, they didn't lose uh, one possession, they got back everything as well as everything that the other army had taken from them. But how did it happen? Because he had to encourage himself in the Lord. So the point with this one is, you and I, when our faith is on trial and, our, and we know it, we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We have to encourage ourselves. Now, some of you have had to do that this year. Your husband went to heaven. You have to remind yourself that that's not the end of your husband, right? Right, dear? That's not the end. He's in heaven. He's with the Lord. You have to remember that, right, Joan, your husband, Carol? You have to remember that, that they're very much still alive. They're just not here. That they're real people, and that's where they are, and that's what we all have to do. I have to do that with my mom. I have to do that with my dad. I have to do it with my aunt, and on and on, all these people that have gone already. And in my life, it... it it's not fun to think about that they're gone, but it gives me hope to know where they are. And it gives me strength that I'm going to keep on living because that's what they would want me to do. They don't want me to die. I got stuff to do. You got stuff to do. You are, listen, young lady, you're not done. You hear me? You're not done. Okay? But what we, have to, what we have to recognize in our life is nobody can provide. You know, people will say stuff to us to try to encourage us. Have you ever had somebody try to encourage you? And they, they might as well have been bouncing a ball off the wall. It didn't do a thing for you. You know, I, I used to hate that at Living Word. I'd go over there going through a difficult, you know, where my pastor is the pastor. And he taught his people to say to ministers when they come, welcome, mighty man of God. And I'm thinking, when I go over there, I feel like a mighty piece of milk toast right now. I'm, I'm not ready to... Don't say that to me. I don't want to hear that right now. But see, that's the key. You have to say about yourself what God says. That's what David did. David had to remind himself, look, look, this is bad. But I've been in bad before. And I'm telling you, friend, you might be in bad today, but you've been in bad before and you got out of it. God helped you and delivered you out. You might have got a bad report before, but you came out of it because here you are alive. You may have been down in the dumps, but you came through. Listen, as long as we're here, we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're not going to fear no evil because there isn't anything in this life that can take our soul except God Almighty. And so we are not afraid of the report, you know, whatever's coming against us, whatever's happening in our life, because we remember, I've been depressed before God brought me out. I've been discouraged before God brought me out. I've had needs of funds before and God provided. I needed a miracle. I got a miracle. I needed God to work in my kids, and God worked in my kids. You know, we told you guys about this before. Man, my daughter got so far from God, she got into this weird thing in her life where she was, she was against all that we believed. I'm like, where did my little girl go? She went to college. She lost her way. And listen, it's not, be careful because see, we say, well, it's the college's fault. It's not the college's fault. It's not the parents' fault either. 
it's the world system fault. Our adversary is not the college. It's not the professor. Our adversary is the enemy who wants to destroy the souls of young people, old people, any people that he can destroy. Can I get a good amen? So, man, she got so far. I mean, Joe, it was terrible. We'd talk to her on the phone, and she didn't want to talk about church. She didn't want to talk about God. She didn't want to talk about anything except what was going on in her life. Her mom said to her one time, well, can we pray for you? And she said, no. And we were heartbroke, man. We had to remember how far we were from God, and God brought us in. How screwed up. You know, you don't have to think that far back to see God's hand at work in your life. And here, I, here I'm listening to that, and Eddie Smith got a word from the Lord, a friend of ours, and he said, you just begin to, every time something good happens, you just praise the Lord. And Sharon and I were like, well, what good was that? She said, don't pray. And we stopped for a second, and we heard the Lord say, well, you can still talk to her, can't you? So praise me that you can still talk to her, that she still calls home, hallelujah, that she's still around you. Just, let, just start thanking God. Well, then it went on for months like that, and then one day she was telling us about this problem. Her mom said, you know, well, can we pray for you? And she said, well, if you want to. She says, absolutely, I, we want to. We hung the phone up and said, thank God that we have a daughter that said we can pray if we want to because that's a huge difference from no. Can I get a good amen? Man, and then the next time we were talking to her, and she, she, you know, months go by, and she said, hey, uh, I got this thing I'm dealing with. Would you and dad pray for me? Glory. We had us a Holy Ghost Pentecostal hissy fit right there. And listen, friend, if you don't learn to celebrate the little victories, you'll never get to the big victory. you got to give God thanks in the middle of the storm for every little step that you make. Hallelujah. You guys are making me preach hard today. She said, please pray for me. And we just watched step by step. I mean, it was such a powerful thing to see her turn, her turn back to God. And one day talked to us about her relationship with God and talked to her. I remember that. I mean, it was really something that she, uh, this was a big problem for her um, because she, has, she was dealing with scoliosis. And she's like, I went to the altar, and I asked God to heal me, and he didn't heal me, and I got scoliosis, and my back hurts. And she says, and I just don't, she says, and, and, and that's part of, Dad, why I just don't believe in the whole thing. Because, you know, I had some great men of God at our church, Ed Dufresne and others that were Terry Mize and others that have been there that prayed for her. And she said, and my back was still as crooked as ever, and I had the same pain. But she was sitting in a church service, and I was just talking about how that our level of expectation, what we think God should do, isn't always the way God does things. And, so he, and, and that you and I don't get to dictate to God how he should do stuff. He can do it however he wants to do it. And she was listening to that, and she wrote me this letter afterwards. And she said, Dad, I just want to tell you. She said, um, now this is my kid that said, I don't want anything to do with your faith. I don't want anything to do with your church. I don't want anything to do with your God. She said, you know, as I sat there listening to you preach that sermon, she said, I realized that the role that I play in life is a hairdresser. 
She says, I'm on my feet nine to ten hours a day. She said, and here I stand every single day with this crooked back. And she said, you know, I noticed something. I don't have any pain anymore. And I said, yeah. I said, now that. She says, Dad, God did a miracle in my body. And I said, you know, when you think about it, what's the greater miracle? That your back is straight or that your back is crooked and it doesn't even bother you anymore? She says, man, that's a great miracle, Dad. Step by step. See, if you can't praise Him in the little things, you got to remember, you got to remind yourself. If you're here today and you're discouraged, well, welcome to the, a great group of people here that have been discouraged. All right? We've all been discouraged. Rafi, you ever been discouraged? Ever? Yeah, man. I just, just, and we've all at times thought about putting our Bible down, not going to church, don't want to hear it. The last thing I ever wanted to hear going to Living Word was those people saying, welcome, mighty man of God. I'd look around me to see who, somebody else back there. It must be thinking of somebody else. But you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. And if David was waiting for a prophet to come, he would have been waiting a long time. Waiting a long time. I love getting prophetic words, and I think that's powerful. But if you've got to have a prophetic word to be able to move forward, you're waiting for something you don't have to wait for. The Bible is full of prophetic words for you and I. Amen? And a true prophet is only coming alongside of what God has already said to you to help move you and propel you forward. That's good preaching, Pastor. Amen. We'll pray for people here today. If you say, well, I just need God to tell me He loves me. Well, let me just tell you. I'll just tell you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God loves you deeply. He loved you enough to send His own kid to die for you so you could have eternal life and have a relationship with Him. Well, I just need to feel it. Well, you got to believe it to believe yourself into feeling it. you got to believe yourself into feeling it. Because can I tell you a little secret this morning? Your feelings are as fickle as the weather. Huh? I just heard this morning they're saying spring-like temperatures this week. You know how much stock I put in that? Yeah. And, and you know, you could say, I've heard that before, right? You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to have time to get into the rest of these, so I'll be back next week. Stand up with me, please. Did I help you today? Look, your faith, you're going to go through stuff. It's okay. It's okay. You know, if I stood up here today and I said, hey, I, I just want to tell you guys, I love, I love working out. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I love sweating. This last week, I felt like I was going to barf the whole time. Uh, you know, I mean, I love that feeling of nausea and pain. Come on, right? We all do, right? We all love it. We're just like, oh, yes. I mean, I get up in the morning looking forward to it at home. Yes, another day that I get to torture and throw up and, and push my body and then hurt for three days afterwards because of what I did that day. I just can hardly wait to go through that again, right? 
But here's the, and you, all, you, you would all agree with me on this. The only way to get stronger is to go through it. The only way to get stronger. But the stronger, see, what we don't realize is the stronger when we work out is not our muscles. They'll get stronger. But the stronger is you. It's the internal you. It's the spiritual you. It's the mental you. That you begin to learn something. There's something that happens. You know, you guys that have been through boot camp, you know this, you guys and gals. That they ask you to do the impossible. But somewhere along the way, you become less afraid of impossible. You become the kind of person that's like, what's so scary? What's so difficult? Now you're like, I can do this. We can do this. In fact, some of you encouraged others, we can do this. See, in life, it's like boot camp. We go through these incredible things. And we go through these really tough, difficult things. And sometimes we got to catch ourselves that we're worrying about stuff that hadn't even happened yet, that we just got to get our focus in where we are right now and where God is directing us and not worry about how hard it's going to be or how difficult because all we're doing is upsetting ourselves before we ever get there. I told somebody the other day, I said, look, in life, you're going to go through stuff, but you get to make the choice how you go through it. You're going to go through it miserable, It's like one of my friends said, pain is inevitable, misery is optional. Pain is inevitable in life. You're going to live, you're going to deal with pain. You're going to grow, you're going to get strong, you're going to deal with pain. But can I tell you this? God created you to overcome the pain. God created you to overcome. You all right there? Sorry, God created you to overcome. I guess that's my stop sign. <laughs> my pastor, his phone goes off, it plays taps when he's supposed to stop. So <laughs> bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, I know it's tough. Life is tough, but God is good. Lord, I just think this morning about how that you said to Sharon and I so many years ago, 36 years ago, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. God, we got pretty close to where we were down to the last piece of bread, but always provision came at the, at the right moment and at the right time. I thank you, God, that you're, even though you're never early, you're never late either. You're just in time. Father, I pray today, Lord God, for those who are discouraged. Lord, I, I have empathy for their difficulty, the path that they're on. Some that are going through physical stuff right now. Some that are going through emotional battles, Lord God. We don't make light of any of it. It's, it's real to them, so it's real. Lord, those who, whose marriages are struggling, God, who have kids, Lord God, that are, are walking a path that's, that's causing anxiety for their lives, Lord God. Lord, those who have huge financial needs in their life today. Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. You are the God of all peace who comforts us in whatever we face, in grief, in pain, in difficulty. And I thank you, God, 
that when we face these things in our life, even though we have to encourage ourselves, maybe the best we can encourage ourselves today is to come to the altar and let someone pray for us. Maybe that's just the best that we can do today, Lord God, but at least we did something. We took a step forward. While I'm praying, I'm going to ask our leadership if you would come and stand here at the altar uh, with me right now and uh, just kind of line up on each side if you would. You know, you might need a word from the Lord today. You, you know, a passage of Scripture that you can stand on. Or you just want somebody to lay hands on you and believe with you for a miracle, for healing, for physical change. Or you just want someone to get in agreement with you, to believe with you today for that financial need to be met in your life. Right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm just going to ask you, if you would say, Pastor, I need prayer today, would you lift a hand up in the air for me, please?